This podcast is brought to you by Upcase. Improve your development skills by completing coding exercises that are peer-reviewed by real humans. Learn more at Upcase.com. Giant robots smashing into other giant robots. This is Giant Robots Smashing into Other Giant Robots, a weekly technical podcast discussing the design, development, and business of great products. I'm Chad Pytel, a developer and the CEO of ThoughtBot, and today I'm joined by Paul Dowman, the founder of the product development consulting firm OKGrow. Okay hey, Paul. Hi, Chad. Thanks for having me here. Uh, thanks for joining me. Uh, we've known each other for, I guess, a couple years now. And when we first met, OK Grow was two people uh, in Toronto. That's right. We're in Toronto, Canada. And what is OK Grow like now? So we're five people now. Mm-hmm. Well, four of us are developers. One is uh, one is kind of a product guy who who handles sort of the the business and uh, helping helping our clients be successful in general. So mm-hmm. sometimes after we finish, that involves working with them to uh, to analyze look at their analytics and see what they could be improving, help them actually with sales of their products as well. Cool. And what's the makeup of the rest of the team like? Well, we're all developers um, and we have all been Rails developers at one point and mm-hmm. now we are mostly focusing on Meteor. So, Yeah. Did we meet each other at RailsConf originally? Is that where we had met? I remember meeting a, a whole group of uh, ThoughtBotters, which was, I think you guys were only about like four or five Mm-hmm. Actually, I don't remember. There was a few people, and it was, I think, uh, 2007 RailsConf, mm-hmm. and I'm actually not sure who I met at the time. And then, <laughs> and then we met uh, we met in in Florida at a, a, a business conference. Yep, that's right. And as you mentioned at the time, you were doing Rails, and you have at this point have you fully switched over in Meteor? We've done Meteor for every new project since December uh, 2013. So bit over a year now. Mm-hmm. Um, and we do have one project still on the go, which is Rails. Um, and we like that project because it's, it's pretty complex and, and there's a lot going on there and his, his business is doing well. And it's been uh, something that we've been working on for more than a year and a half now. But most everything new is, is Meteor and that's pretty much where our focus is. Oh, and we've done a bit of Meteor for that project as well. So it's a mm-hmm. bit of both now. Yeah. So for those listening who don't know what Meteor is, can you give a, a quick overview of what Meteor is? Yeah, definitely. So Meteor is a full stack framework that lets you build apps in JavaScript. It's a single stack that runs both in the cloud for your secure business logic and also on browser in the browser and on mobile phones as well. So when I say on mobile phones, I mean it has actually support for Cordova built in. It's JavaScript all the way through. It's built on Node, Node.js for the back end, plus a, a bit of custom framework on top of that that eases a bit of some of the pain of, uh, of working with Node. Mm-hmm. There's a front-end framework as well. There's a real-time communications protocol. So um, that's one of the major, uh, most interesting features to developers, at least, of, of Meteor is that, that it's a, a real-time live updating framework. So there's a... There's a protocol that standardizes that, and there's it's also a build system. So you can build, you know, a bit like the asset pipeline for Rails. So mm-hmm. it'll build your app for the server, for the web client, and your Cordova apps. Cool. I think that's a good overview. When Node was gaining, you know, when Node came out and was gaining popularity, or or even when we talk about new frameworks like Clojure or those, all those things are languages. And Node was sort of in this weird space, and people would ask me about Node, and I'd say. 
Node and Rails really actually are not comparable at all. Ruby on Rails was called Ruby on Rails. The language was Ruby. The framework for doing web development and building your actual application was Rails, and it was built on top of Ruby. I always felt like Node was in this weird uh, standpoint. It's not the language. Obviously, it's it's not the language. The language is JavaScript. But it was not a web development framework comparable in the same way that Rails was, really. Right. And I think in a lot of ways, Meteor is much more comparable to rails you know a full web development environment and meteor goes one step further in that it also prescribes patterns and gives you tools all the way to the client side and like you said even to mobile right and and it is flexible so you can you can you know plug and play you can take out you can use your favorite client side framework if you like people are using react with it people are using angular but it does provide you know the simplest path is to to use everything bit like rails so you can uh, mix and match the different parts of it. Are there other big differences between Rails and Meteor? Yes. Uh, I'd say the big difference is really that um, as opposed to sending pages back to the client, Meteor mm-hmm. is is a client-centric framework. So the, the app itself, um, it runs there's – a, there's a server part, of course, that runs in the cloud, and then there's, there's a part that runs on your client. So, so technically, the – you know, I mean, it's it's similar to Angular or Backbone or Ember in that the first request that a browser makes, if it's if the app is running in a browser, first request will load up a page, pull down your JavaScript and assets and JavaScript templates, and then from then on, everything happens. Most of your logic, anyway, happens in the client. Right, and it's talking to your backend with APIs. That's right. Although with Meteor, are the APIs generated automatically based on that, or are you writing the APIs yourself? So by APIs, if you mean um, like REST endpoints, that yeah. type of thing. Yeah, that's this what is, I mean. So this is something that's that's really interesting. Um, so you, Meteor does provide something that's equivalent to making server-based API calls or, or calls to the server using REST. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are – so that's that's your RPC, remote procedure call way of, of working. So Meteor make, makes something available called method calls. And so you – you have to write the custom logic on both sides for that if you want to work that way. Mm-hmm. But there's another thing that you can do, which to my knowledge is really, this is the only framework that, that lets you work this way, which is that it allows you to actually declaratively publish a subset of your data to the client. Mm-hmm. And the client subscribes to, to the same data. And then it's there basically in a cache in the client um, available to be used before it's even needed. So the subset of data that gets pushed down, it'll change based on where you where you are in the app. So you have client-side routing, which means depending on what URL you, you are at in your browser or what you know what the state of your UI is, or even what templates are being displayed on the page, you can have a different set of data being automatically published to you. And then if that data changes on the server, it automatically gets pushed to you? Exactly. Yeah. So it's there on the client before you even need it. So a lot of what you're doing when you're writing a Meteor app is actually just querying basically what is essentially a local database. And what they've done is they've actually implemented the entire, uh, well, most of the, uh, the MongoDB query language on top of a local cache in the browser. So you can actually make what seems like MongoDB queries, but they are actually just querying a local cache in your browser. And so that cache got populated 
pretty much automatically, um, you know, based on some declarative rules that you wrote beforehand, then it's pretty much instant. So usually you're not waiting for data to load when you're, when you're working in, in the client side app. Right. So I just mentioned MongoDB and that's, that's, I guess, um, the first interesting thing. So the, the, this is not, it's not specifically tied to MongoDB, although the first, the first database that they did implement support for was MongoDB. And, um, they've now done Redis as well. And the approach to working with Redis in the browser is similar. So you will, you will query a local cache using your f- familiar Redis type queries. So, and I, I assume that when, that when, uh, when support for SQL databases comes, which I believe is in the works, I, I imagine that it will probably be a similar type of thing. It seems like that's a philosophy thing that carries through Meteor where they really want to unify the client and the server. So like you said, when SQL comes, you're not going to use MongoDB queries to query your local data. You're going to use, philosophically, you're probably going to use SQL queries to do it. That's what I expect, yeah. and so there, there's no there's no official support for that yet, and I don't know what when right. it's coming, but I do know that it's that it's in the works or it's in the plan at least. Yeah, it's a really interesting philosophy. I think that it makes sense for a framework to strive for that, to strive for complete unification of the client and server. I think when you do that and and you want it to be consistent and unified it leads you down certain paths, which are really interesting for the way that the web works today. Yeah, I've, I've always been a big fan of anything that makes me more productive mm-hmm. and building apps for client where we, where we charge by the week. I have to be quite aware of how much time we're spending, maybe more so than, than I used to be when I worked for product companies where we were more of an internal team, just sort of chugging away on a predictable schedule. Now I'm very aware of the value that I'm giving. So this is something that led me to Rails in the first place. And the reason why I loved Rails when I started using it back in 2006 or seven, it was just super productive. And I felt that I could build something really with a better end product than what I could do in other frameworks and tools. And I could do it a lot faster, like an order of magnitude faster back then. Mm-hmm. And I think the same is true now. So we, we had this experience in, in 2012 when we started to build our, our the first real-time app that we tried to do was, was Rails on the back end, and uh, we we used ended up using Angular on the front end, and we tried a few different real time solutions. And as you know, real time is a bit of a challenge with Rails for various reasons. And we we ended up using the service Pusher at yep. the time, and, I, and there may be other. I know there are other alternatives now, and there there were at the time as well then, but that was the quickest and simplest thing. But still, we ended up doing a ton of of work, and it was mostly integration. So we wanted to have um, real time, a real time dashboard. We used D3 for graphs that were, that were, that needed to update real time when things changed. And there was just so much work we had to do to, first of all, watch for changes on the server side. So we had to know when, the, when the data changed. We had to, we had to push that data. And then, then the questions start coming, like, how do you do that securely? Who do you push the changes to and what, and what changes? And then how do you do that efficiently? So there was a lot of work and, you know, I think we, we actually built a good product at the time, but I, I felt that it was way more work than what it should have been. Right. Uh, on the development side too, when you're using Pusher, building an Angular app with a Rails backend, one of the challenges is integration testing that, testing that really well in an mm-hmm. easy way. 
I get the sense, and to be clear, I haven't used Meteor. I've looked into it, but I haven't used it before. I get the sense, though, that the testing story, the way to get integration tests, to have full coverage of your application in a way that is easy, uh, or if not easy, straightforward, is much different in Meteor. It is. Um, and there, there's a really ambitious framework that is, I'd say it's ready to, it's pretty much ready to use in most cases now. To be honest, the, the testing story for Meteor over the last year hasn't been as, uh, as good as it was with mm-hmm. Rails back in the early days, because I think that was, that was one of the things that, that I really liked about Rails was that the testing was, was built in and encouraged and it became an essential part of the community, I think. Yeah. And, and obviously you guys were part of that with, with the tools that you built. So with, with Meteor, I think there was, um, there was a good testing story for building packages. Mm-hmm. And and actually, to be fair, the best way to build a Meteor app is to split it up into packages as, as much as possible. So there was a good there was good support for that for testing those those pieces. But there was not a great end to end testing story, and there was a lot of work you had to do to integrate tools. And I, and I think the reason why is because it's just a totally everything was was totally new. So it took a little while for that to all get built out. And now there's a there's a framework called Velocity, and it lets you run. You know things like Mocha, Jasmine, and basically all the the JavaScript-based testing tools that you're used to. You can integrate, uh, including uh, support for Selenium, so you can drive real browsers. So it's it's getting good now, and it's mm-hmm. a, it's a really it's a really um, ambitious project because it actually lets you. It, it's kind of like auto test for Rails or um, whatever people are using these days. That right. that's a little bit more. Um, so basically, it runs your tests right away. So as soon as something changes. Tests run, runs your unit tests, your integration tests, and you actually see a green dot um, in the development mm-hmm. version of your app. You'll just see a green dot there in the corner of your page letting you know that your tests are running or or failing. Yeah, cool. And because the whole Meteor is full stack, includes real-time components, you're not having to, you know, you should be able to write specs and integration specs specifically that exercise that full stack without right. spinning up a bunch of different services right. or integrating with third parties and having to fake those out. Right. And you're staying in the same tools most of the time. So mm-hmm. you're not, uh, I mean, that's that's also part of the entire development process is that you're pretty much staying in JavaScript all the time for better or for worse. So you're, <laughs> you don't have that, that friction where you're where you're using multiple different things and you have to take a few minutes to switch between them. You can actually share code in, in a lot of cases between clients. So something like validations is a good example of a place where, you know, if you have to write the same validation code in multiple for every for every client and then again on the server, you can have, you can end up having four different versions of some kind of validation code. Right. And that's that's a good thing to avoid. <laughs> So you touched on this a little bit um, in the reasons why you like Meteor, and and I assume that those are the reasons why you now are using Meteor completely. But can you speak a little bit more to the process of actually deciding that you guys were only going to use Meteor going forward and really build your small consultancy around that platform? Yeah, I, I had been doing Rails for years, which is which is why we started out as um, I, I guess a Rails shop primarily. Or exclusively, and but you know, building a Rails app in 2012 was no longer just building a Rails app. I mean, there was it's pretty much expected that you're going to be building um, a pretty JavaScript-oriented front end. And at the time, Ember and Angular were just beginning to become popular, mm-hmm. and they were both Ember. 
it wasn't even 1.0. It was very, very rough at the time. Angular was brand new. Backbone was pretty mature, but you know, it just it felt like um, there there were still some improvements that were going to be made in that space. And so right. we we used Angular for a couple of apps. Um, we played with Ember a little bit, and I just felt I felt that we were doing a lot of work, and I felt that we were really focusing on too many different tools. And I think, uh, especially as a, as a consulting shop, it's important to be um, producing stuff for the community as well, so that for one thing, so that we're getting better at what we're doing, and so that people can see that that we are really into what into what we use. And it's hard to do that for for multiple different tool sets. Mm-hmm. You can do it, of course, but uh, you know, I just felt that we had to keep on top of a lot of different things, and I just felt that we had to do a lot more work than we should have to do integrating it all together. And you know, uh, I think I was just looking for a change, and I've I've always been uh, throughout my career, which has been since 1995, actually building web apps. I've always kind of looked for something that was, I mean, in, in, when I was younger, I was I was always looking for the shiny new thing, and now I'm I'm really different in terms of. Now I have to actually, I'm pretty conservative in my old age and I need to make sure that, that what we use is really, is really going to be solid and it's, it's going to work and that it's mature and ready to be used. But, you know, I've always kind of looked for what's, what's better. And I think a lot of times there's, our industry changes so fast that the thing that's better becomes obvious before, before it's really being used by everyone. So what I had to do is just convince myself that, it was going to be reliable and then it was not going to be a dead end in terms of building products that nobody would want to support. Right. Had you done a project for a client in Meteor? Um, we had watched it for about a year before mm-hmm. we actually did our first project. Mm-hmm. So we were, we were kind of following it and, and playing with it a little bit on our own, but we didn't, do it for, we didn't use it for client work. And then um, by December 2012, we've, we felt that it was ready. Right. When you did that first client project in Meteor, had you already made the decision at that point to focus nope. on Meteor? No. So you, you tried it first on that client project. That's right. We did. Yeah. We, we, we didn't say we're going to do it now for everything, right. no matter how this first project <laughs> right. goes. Right. Yeah. We, had to, we definitely had to make sure that you know, we, we felt like it was promising. And so, so we did a small project with it. It's the kind of project where, where it was okay with the client and it, it was suitable for what we were using. Yeah. And it, it worked out really well. And so take me back to the actual logistics and process of deciding, okay, you know, that we have that project going on. At what point did you decide we're going to focus on Meteor and and how did that go with the team? Yeah, well, it it went so well that that we we were just like, wow, that was was awesome. The the project went so well. Sorry, the project did, yeah. 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 And, And we were just, we just thought, wow, we would really like to use this more. And we still felt, well, I don't know, there's probably... At that point, we didn't think, oh, we'll use it for everything. We just thought, okay, this has a lot of promise and there are, you know, this is the right thing for certain types of projects. But it just, it just worked out that every other, every other project that came along after that, we, we just felt good about it. Right. So, yeah, similar thing happened to Thoughtbot with Rails. So we were the first consulting company in the world that we know of to announce that we were switching to Rails. But it was like, if you actually go back and look at the original blog post, we said, we're going to use Rails for all of these kinds of projects and reserve. Previously, we had done PHP, Perl, and Java projects. We said, there might be some clients who we need to use Java for just because. Uh, yeah. But we never 
had those clients ever again. Yeah, um, I, had, I had it in my mind that that there was there was still a type of project that it it would not be suitable to use Meteor for, which was or you know any type of client JavaScript type mm-hmm. um, framework. And I felt there there's there is a class of um, I guess apps, but though they're a bit more like websites where they're kind of content oriented, SEO is important. But it turns out we don't really do right. a lot of those, right. and so we've we've only done one that I think is really like that, and it had a lot of back end work that had to be done as well. It integrated with a lot of APIs, but it, it, SEO was very important to them and it, it uh, exposed a lot of content. Um, so we, we thought at the time, well, that type of app, we probably would still use Rails for it. You know, we, we didn't get any of those types of projects. We, we don't really, just at the time we didn't. And, and now I, I think that I would actually, I would use Media for that as well. Right. I think that what people expect from even something that they would consider to be a website at this point is just a much more interactive experience than, than than what you would have had a few years ago. It's not just a page oriented thing. I mean, look at what what the New York Times is is doing. They're driving. They've been driving JavaScript development with all kinds of projects. Everything that you everything that you expect from a website these days is is very interactive. So it's not the case of where originally, especially where if all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Uh, I think that there is a dynamic of when you are one of the first companies, when you're very early on with a technology and you're out in the forefront of a little bit, you you get you gain expertise, you gain benefits from standardizing on a particular platform, particularly when it's an opinionated framework that gives you a lot of structure. There's a lot of benefits to that. And so I think what we found, and you've probably found it too, is that that other work just doesn't come along. You don't necessarily do it a lot to begin with, and it doesn't come along because you've started to gain momentum and expertise in the particular new growing technology. And we didn't choose Rails because we thought it was going to be successful. We were too, you know, that would have required too much business insight and much more than we had. We chose Rails because we really liked using it. It was very enjoyable and we thought we were quick for all the same reasons that you outlined why you used rails at the beginning and why you switched to meteor before uh, or later so yeah Yeah, i'm I'm very conscious of that i didn't i didn't want to make everything into a nail um i felt that we wouldn't be using that for everything but 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 like i said you know even things that are now that i that at the time i thought were not appropriate like for example we built the meteor site itself um for the meteor development group and that is I guess you'd say it's purely a content-oriented site. But well, actually, for that one, you needed to. Use it. <laughs> had to definitely <laughs> had to in that case. But but it turned out to be. Um, it, it turned out really that I, I think that I would build that same type of site using Meteor again as well. And SEO is is a solved problem now. Things are rendered on the server. Things things can be so so that the temporary solution actually um, is to use Phantom JS. Uh, um, and it renders a uh, a version of the page on the server just for crawlers. Mm-hmm. But I think that even that's a problem that that is going away. I don't think in five or ten years anybody will even consider that. So there's a couple of things um, that are interesting about the business of Meteor. So Meteor was created by the Meteor Development Group. Well, actually, right. it was created by someone at MIT, right? Well. I'm I'm not sure the history bef- before the Meteor Development Group became mm-hmm. be- came together, but 
but go on. Yeah. yeah so according to the, what I could find that meteor development group has licensed the technology from MIT, which I think means it was created by someone at MIT and probably the, someone at the meteor development group now, but it's a, it's a for-profit entity, right? Yeah. In, in the sense that they were funded by mm-hmm. Andreessen Horowitz, VC partners for about 11, 11 million dollars or something. Yep. 11.2 million dollars. Mm-hmm. Which is a lot of money for an open source project. Right. So yeah, I mean, I, I think somebody expects that that, that money is going to actually make a return at some point. Um, now, I, I know that, you're, you can't speak for the media <laughs> development group, but do you have a sense of what the plan is there? Why, why someone might think that? Um, there have been a lot of uh, open source projects that have actually become uh, or supported good businesses on the side. So, right. you know, there's, there's things like, like Chef and J, yeah, mm-hmm. back JBoss, for example. Chef is a good example these days. There, there's a lot of those. Um, so there, there's a good, definitely a good track record of, of those things working out. And I think everybody knows that in order to make that work, you have to also make sure that the open source project is, is good. So that doesn't, as a developer, that doesn't worry me. In fact, it's actually, it gives me a bit of confidence that, that there's a core team that's going to be around focusing on it full time for a long time. Yeah, I think that the the biggest concern that I would have is that there's forces at work that are have ulterior motives that that are not aligned with the users of Meteor or or the developers. But yeah. because it's open source, if you don't like it, you just use a fork, right? Yeah, exactly. But I don't actually don't think it would come to that. I think mm-hmm. there there was a really interesting discussion on the JavaScript Jabber podcast a little while back where they interviewed the founder of Famous, and, and he was talking about this as well, because that's, that's another open source project that has been uh, funded with VC funding. And, and he was talking about that versus, say, corporate sponsorship. So, for example, something like Angular is also a funded project in, mm-hmm. in a way. It has, to, it has to remain a good open source project, or, or does it? I mean, I, I, guess, I guess it suits Google at, at this point to make sure that it's a popular open source project that a lot of people use. But again, there are potentially forces at work there that you have to at least consider that as a developer right. if you're if you're um, planning to use a platform. And I think that with with VC funded company that's that's behind it, I think that they have a lot more. Well, they potentially have more alternatives. So I mean, I, I don't know. This is all this is all up for uh, for debate, of course. Right. But and no one can see the future. But I, I think there's a lot more things you can do to to support. The development of an open source product when when you're a small agile company that can that can do all, you know you could you pretty much have your own your own way like I don't I don't think the VCs have a lot of ulterior motives other than just that a return gets made at some point. Yeah, I don't under, I don't quite understand where that return is really going to come from at the levels that VCs look for. Um, well, I yeah. know at this point, yeah, I mean, I, obviously, I don't know anything about right. that, um, but. I do know that they're working on um, on a, a hosting solution, mm-hmm. and, and so right now there have been a lot of successful real time and sort of cloud backend hosting providers, things like Firebase, and I and I think right, and obviously Heroku and and those those types of things. So there's a whole range of you know hosting and platform as a service. There, there's kind of a range yeah. between what's what's hosted and cloud hosting versus platform as a service versus Versus just providing a service as a backend, and there's a lot of room for something something new and interesting to happen in there. Yeah, 
and obviously you don't speak for Meteor Development Group. We should probably get someone from that from there on the show. Actually, Grace, yeah. Grace, can we get someone from Meteor Development Group on the show? I've been wanting to do a Glenn Glary, Gillen Ross uh, reference for a long time. <laughs> uh, the, um, but you know, the thing that underpins the whole thing for me is is what I said before, which is it's all open source. So even if you don't have complete confidence that it will all turn out all right, you don't have to worry about it going away, right. truly going away. Right. You can see that with, with Node recently. Well, that's so, why I was going to yeah. thank you for <laughs> doing my segue. Uh, so. <laughs> so obviously, um, Meteor is built on Node, and Node was just forked into io.js, I guess is how people right. refer to it. Um, what does that mean for Meteor? Yeah, I mean, I, I really don't know. I, I don't, as, as a developer that uses Meteor, I don't consider myself a Node developer, really. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't really care that much, honestly. Um, I think the, they'll just use whatever ends up being the, the yeah. most supported or whatever, right. whatever suits them the best. I mean, you can, you can write raw Node code on, on Meteor as well. And just as a small technical aside, they, they do a few things to make that a little bit easier. So, Aside from just providing a framework and an API on top of it, they they use Fibers, which is um, a library that lets you write actually non-blocking code. So there's no performance problems with this, but it it appears as a developer as if you're writing um, blocking code. So right. you make a you make a query from a database, and you actually get back a result right there on the next line. You start using it as opposed to having to write a callback. Mm-hmm. So, but but to answer your question, I I don't think it really matters about um, about the the node fork because they'll just use whatever. And yeah. I think it'll be a while before they are significantly different from each other. Right. Yeah. So really I, I I'm I'm not too worried about that. Also, remember back when, when Merb was uh I mean not not necessarily it wasn't a fork of Rails, but it was an right. alternative and right. and I think it's really good to have those types of things happen. Yeah. So Merb ultimately joined back together with Rails, but I don't know, I'm I guess I'm just generally an optimist and I think that in almost everything, whatever's best tends to win out in the end. Yeah, and uh, and so it's it's just the only thing I don't like is is not having alternatives and choices. So I, I think I'm all for it when things like that happen. Yeah. Do you write your Meteor apps in just straight JavaScript? We do, we do, and you know I'm not actually not a fan of the JavaScript syntax. Mm-hmm. Um, we did use CoffeeScript for a while, but when we when we switched to Meteor, we we did we actually switched to JavaScript at the time. And yeah, we we thought about it a lot, and and I think one of the reasons why is that um, well, we've written a few a few open source things, and I think you you encourage contribution from the community more in JavaScript still at this point. It's it still is the most common language. Yeah, CoffeeScript. I mean, there's there's an endless debate you can have about what's better. Both of them have their their warts, especially with regards to um, variable scoping. I, I think a lot of I think if I were to switch to anything at this point, um, it would probably be more like ES6. Right. So there are uh, transpilers that let you write ES6 that gets compiled down to JavaScript. And Meteor has something that's similar to the Rails asset pipeline. So basically, it's a it's a build system that lets you. You can use CoffeeScript or an ES6 mm-hmm. transpiler or probably, I guess, in theory, you could even write Ruby and have it right. compiled using Opal. Yeah, you can. <laughs> you don't have to use JavaScript, but for now, we are. Yeah, I think, well, that's a good example of competition being good for things in, yeah. in, in our environment. So ES6, ECMAScript <laughs> 6, is official JavaScript. 
And it is picking up a lot of the features that were popularized and shown to be good in CoffeeScript. Exactly. And I, I don't think there's anyone who would make the argument that CoffeeScript didn't cause that. Yeah. You know, so if CoffeeScript didn't exist, it wouldn't have pushed JavaScript to move in these ways. Totally. And I, there's no doubt about it. Like in Rails community, CoffeeScript is very popular, yeah. but there's many JavaScript people, the JavaScript community. Not only is CoffeeScript just not quite as popular, that they are directly opposed to it. They, they you know, they hate it. <laughs> um, yeah. They don't believe it should exist in the first place. <laughs> uh, but I think the pragmatic perspective is to look at that composition and realize what good came out of it. Yeah. And um, I agree. If if I were using uh, Meteor and building apps, I would probably use ES6 now too. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we're not. We're just using plain mm -hmm. plain old today's JavaScript. But but yeah. But I think that if we were to switch to something, it it might be that. We have a we actually published a post on the blog recently which I will link in the show notes at giantrobots.fm slash 134. But it's about comparing CoffeeScript to ES6 and shows cool. the how to do the syntax of one and the other and what the differences are. So if you're interested in that, you can check it out there. Awesome. So what is the biggest challenge that you're facing either as a, as a company or you know, just people who build things, either technical or non-technical, with Meteor now? With Meteor specifically? Well, uh, I guess, yeah. <laughs> Start at Meteor and then we'll go to the bigger issues if there are other. <laughs> I'd say that the biggest issue is, and this is, you know, we're, we're, we're making progress with this, but it's generally just getting the right type of projects mm -hmm. and being in a place where, you know, like, like you said earlier, we don't have to use a hammer for things that should be screwed in with a screwdriver, right? <laughs> right? And, and so we're, we're working really hard to make sure that we're in a position where we could turn away anything that, that isn't appropriate. I mean, I don't want to do something for somebody that, that doesn't meet their needs perfectly. And we, we want to enjoy, we want to obviously, as developers, we want to get the type of projects we, we like the most. So that's the biggest thing, really. So I suppose you'd call that maybe just a sales challenge or, mm -hmm. or a marketing thing. So, mm -hmm. do When you talk to people now, do you get pushback on Meteor or they want to know what it is and they're, or they're concerned about being able to hire people later on to work on it? Yeah, I mean, we have the answer is no. I, I guess we have two different types of clients, mm -hmm. and and this is fa a fairly new thing. People that found us because of Meteor, so they're specifically looking to do Meteor, and that's the best. That's yeah. I guess that's the position you guys are in with with Rails, and you've been there for a long time, where everybody knows what everybody knows what you've done um, because you you built all kinds of great open source products since before anybody had even heard of Rails. So we have we have those types of clients, and of course, there's no there's no convincing to be done there. And then we have other people that come to us that just want to build a product. Mm -hmm. They want to build they want to build a mobile app or a web app and they've probably not heard of Meteor and they generally don't care. And it's not something I really talk about right, right in this, from the start anyway unless it's appropriate for some reason. You know, I mean, and the first things I talk about are just how we can build the right thing for them, what their product even is and how to make it successful. Usually it's convincing them to uh to Build something a little bit less than what they're right. what they're trying to do. We're big big believers in lean startup principles, and and plus, I don't even feel I don't feel comfortable estimating a, an enormous project <laughs> at all. So I, I I work hard to to try to get them to build something less. But if and when it it does come up that we would be using Meteor in, in the conversation, often yeah, I mean if they haven't heard of it, their first thoughts are one of maybe like oh why why do you want to use that and 
you know, is that something that will be supported? Can I find developers to take over that? So my answer to that is, is well, JavaScript is the most popular language um, on GitHub at the moment. So it's really not that hard to find good JavaScript developers. Of course, there are a lot of j- different types of JavaScript developers, um, a, lot of, a lot of just sort of front-end developers that are maybe more designers and dabble in JavaScript. But there are now a huge number of you know, full-stack JavaScript developers. I think. Mm-hmm. So I think there's really no, there's no risk there. The bigger, the bigger question sometimes comes from people that are looking to build a native app. Uh, they're looking specifically to build something using, you know, Apple's native tools or or an Android native native app. And mm-hmm. well, what we generally propose is that we build cross-platform apps using Cordova. And partly we've we've done that since before using Meteor, but now now that Meteor actually has that built in, um, it's it's an even better match. But that's that's the one thing that's not appropriate for everybody. Right. And I I think there are there are cases there are some people that that they legitimately shouldn't. But two years ago, when we started doing that, probably the majority of people, I would say, no, that's not really, this is not appropriate for you. You should probably build a native app for iOS and maybe another one for Android if you need to. And now I find that that the proportion of people that we say that to is a lot less. Mm-hmm. So I think in in the majority of cases, we I think that it's actually appropriate, especially for a first version. A lot of what we build are MVPs for people looking to test out their product and that doesn't mean that it's a lower quality app. It just means that you need to be able to move quickly. And, and it doesn't mean that I also advocate releasing for both platforms because to do a good job, you have to customize pretty heavily for both. But it still lets you share at least a significant proportion of your code base. And so I think in a lot of cases, it's it's an appropriate thing. Yeah. Yeah, we get the same two sort of customers. One who comes to us specifically because we're well-established with Rails and the other is that really are coming to us for our product development expertise and to build a great product. And, you know, we don't just do Rails now. You know, we have people who do Haskell and Go and Clojure and Scala, and we actively pursue and explore those alternate languages and frameworks. And I think that it's important to do that as a company because you got to remind yourself why you switched to Meteor and and we switched to Rails a long, long time ago. It was because we loved it. As developers, we loved it. We felt more productive and we thought we could build better things with it. And I think that we would all be kicking ourselves if we feel like as developers, we miss that next thing down the road. Yeah, totally. As as developers, I mean, especially when you when you get larger to the size where where you guys are, there's going to be people that really want to explore other things. Um, and for ourselves, even at even at five people, I would not want to be not looking out for the next interesting thing. Plus, there there's a lot to be learned from from following what happens in in other communities and other tools and things. So, for example, as any kind of developer, you should be looking at say. I don't know what's interesting right now. For example, what's happening with with React and right. Clojure and you know the sort of confluence of of the two. There's a lot of interesting stuff happening there. There's all kinds of things that I think make you a better developer. So actually as a as a off-topic side note, I started learning martial arts about 6 or 7 years ago. Yeah. And I didn't know what I was looking for. So I did a bit of research why and I talked you, to some friends. Why did you start doing it in the first place if if you didn't know uh, what you were looking for? 
Oh, it's just I don't know. I had a feeling like I it just would be something I like to do. You wanted to, to kick some ass. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I want to kick some ass. That's right. How can I do that better? <laughs> just something physically active and fun to do. And yeah, I don't know. I was just looking for something something new on the side to do. And so I did a bit of research, and I I was recommended that I should look at Jeet Kune Do. And Jeet Kune Do is Bruce Lee's. Um, I suppose you could call it his martial art. Mm-hmm. But it was more that his his philosophy is that you should not follow one specific way like to the letter so he took things from everything he he actively branched out into western boxing um filipino martial arts i I think his his uh, original foundation was in kung fu but he he learned all kinds of things and he took the best of he just took whatever was appropriate and he also advocated that you should use whatever works for you so if you're small if you're light and quick then you should use things like that are appropriate Mm -hmm. For that, you know, you should always use what works best for you and, and, and you can learn from other, from the way other people do things. So I take that back to every, to everything I do. I think that following what happens in other tools and frameworks, it would be really ignorant of me not to understand Android development, you know, as deeply as possible, you know, iOS native framework as, as deeply as possible. I think you have to do all those things. Well said. Does Bruce Lee philosophy have belts? Um, no, at least not, not the way it's taught. Okay. Uh, no, no, it, it does not. I was going to ask you what you, belt you are. <laughs> no, no. You don't even get a cool belt? No. Oh man, <laughs> how disappointing. Yeah. Well, Paul, how can people get in touch with you or follow you if they're interested in doing that? Well, thanks. You can find, um, okay. Grow's website at www.okgrow.com. You can follow us on Twitter at okay underscore grow. You can find me on Twitter at Paul Dowman. Thank you so much for joining me, Paul. I am C. Pytel on Twitter if you want to follow me there. And you can find the show notes and links for this, our 134th episode at giantrobots.fm slash 134. This episode was produced by Tom Obarski. Thank you for listening and talk to you next time.